0: happens when you're eight years old and you experience the gross injustice of being left out of a trip to Chipotle? You run away, of course. You become a tiny hobo. Welcome to another episode of the All Y'all Podcast. I'm Sarah Abair,
1: And I'm Chris Jay. This episode features a story from our March 2016 live storytelling event, Mama and Daddy. That included incredible stories about motherhood and fatherhood. We're so thankful to everyone who came out to our first ever two-night live storytelling event and helped to make it a success. Thank you.
0: Elizabeth Beauvais is a mother to three, eight-year-old twins, and an insane two-year-old affectionately nicknamed Loki, God of Chaos. Elizabeth is also a writer, consultant, and yoga teacher engaged in the constant, elusive, and fictional quest for balance. She's at the front lines of motherhood, something like trench warfare meets a three-ring circus with moments of pure sweetness, sometimes all at once.
1: This episode, like every All Y'all podcast episode and live event, is brought to you by our season sponsor, Holiday Lanes. If you're looking for something fun to do with your wild and crazy kids, check out their website, bowlholidaylanes.com, or you can follow them on Twitter at At holiday underscore lanes.
0: We're also sponsored by Maccentric, the only locally owned Apple premium service provider in town. That means that if something's wrong with your Mac or your iPhone or your iPad, you're going to get the highest quality of service available. Check them out at Maccentric.net.
1: And without further ado, this is Elizabeth Beauvais' story The Chipotle Rebellion.
2: My eight-year-old daughter ran away. <clears throat> Actually my eight-year-old daughter ran away for 45 minutes. Actually I let my eight-year-old daughter run away for 45 minutes with her backpack and her dog. See, on her part, it was um, a carefully orchestrated protest about social injustice and social inequity. I had um, taken her twin brother out of school that day for an eye appointment. and. He, the eye appointment ran long, and so I kept him out of school, and I got him a Chipotle burrito for lunch. (laughs) And I did not get her one. (laughs) Raising twins, everything has to be even all the time, and it's impossible. So, to say she was upset was an understatement. When we got home, then she, in her mind, was left no choice but to race upstairs, pack a bag, put her dog on a leash, and set out to make her own destiny. At the time, I thought she was walking her dog because I'm distracted. I'm always distracted because I have a two-year-old, Loki, the god of chaos. And that particular afternoon, I had decided I was going to take Loki into the front yard and, as is my way, try to multitask and rake leaves. So I'm raking in the front yard, and Henry, Charlotte's twin brother, is doing these figure eights on his scooter in the driveway, and after about like 20 minutes, Henry, her twin brother, scoots over to me super fast, a couple of black beans still on his chin as is his way, and says, Mom, I'm kind of worried. You know, she's been gone a long time. And I said, look, why don't you scoot up to the stop sign and look in all of the directions, see if you can't find her somewhere. Just look at all the directions. And he does, and he comes right back, big-eyed, empty-handed, and he said, I, I can't find her anywhere, I'm worried. And then he said, can I watch something? (laughs) (laughs) I let him go inside and watch something, and now I'm putting it together. She was really angry. Backpack was on her back. Uh, She's running away. That's what's happening. And I need to tell you first that I'm confident she's not going to go outside the bounds of our neighborhood, which is this sleepy corner heel of South Highlands, three streets bound by two streets. And I also know that she's got her dog who would go for the throat of anybody that would look askance at her. So what comes up next for me, emotionally, is, I gotta be honest, I'm a little pissed. Like, this is what she's gonna protest and run away about? Like, this is how she's gonna make her stand? A burrito? (laughs) I mean, it was a Chipotle burrito, right? Like, it wasn't like a Freebirds burrito or Taco Bell. It was Chipotle, you know, superior. But still, like this is my high-energy child, high-intensity, high-energy, high-drama. And so to ride the wake of that emotion of hers, I have to practice some yoga breathing. And I have to adopt that false, calm voice of telemarketers and Sesame Street narrators. Not even for her, but just to calm myself down. So I do that in the front yard. I breathed, and I backed up paused. And in that pause I remembered something. I remembered when I was 12 I told my mom that I wanted to to move away for a semester and to go live with my dad and see what that was like. And she let me and looking back on that as a mom now I can see that from her perspective even though I wasn't running away from her it probably felt very much like I was walking down a darkening street with one backpack over a narrow shoulder. But she let me, and it was huge. She facilitated that, and I did learn a lot about my dad and my stepmother and my family in Shreveport, and I learned a lot about what it was to transition from a small Catholic school in the Midwest to Urie Drive Middle School, my first day when my purse was stolen, because I didn't know you were supposed to lock the locker. <laughs> but what I really learned about was myself. I got this glimpse, like this prescient glimpse of my future self as somebody who might be able to make decisions on my own in the future, who might be able to even survive on my own. When I moved back to my mom at 13, I couldn't have known that she would die suddenly exactly one year later. I couldn't have known that my whole world and everything that was familiar secure, would be turned upside down and shaken like a snow globe, and I would have to walk into that blizzard and test my footing against that glimpse of myself I'd seen. So I decided to give Charlotte some time. And after about 20 minutes, I'm like, okay, I need to go look for her. So I'm about to head out, but I've got Loki, right? Remember the two-year-old? And he has developed this like intensity in the way of toddlers and highly intense people, this fixation on an object. And in this case, the object is the recycling bin, not the like little dumpster, the big recycling bin. And he's insistent that he take it with him and he's gonna push it all by himself. So for the visual, if you'd happen to be walking or driving down Maryland Avenue, That particular November afternoon, you would have seen me walking along and then what looked to be this independently moving recycling (laughs) van walking along. (laughs) So we painstakingly get to the stop sign and I see her. She's across the street and half a block away and she sees me too and she wheels on one heel and starts to walk away from me. So now I have to shout this to her. We have to have this conversation shouting for the benefit of our neighbors. So I shout, are you running away? And she shouts, yes. And I shout, well, I wish you wouldn't. And she shouts, well, I am. And I said, well, I love you and I can't live without you. And she said, well, I am. And I said, I hope you come home soon. And I turned around, which was awkward because I had the toddler in the dumpster. (laughs) was big I mean I can feel her eyes boring into me she's waiting for me to turn back She has just told her mom that she's running away and her mom turns around and I am thinking to myself this is either like my single best moment of mothering or my single worst but that's it like it's nothing in between it's there's no third option Because what I'm so worried about is what if she interprets this as my love is conditional. Like if she interprets it as my love only extends to the end of the block. And I won't really follow her to the ends of the earth. Instead of getting the truth of what I was trying to tell her, the truth of I love you enough to let you try this. I love you enough to let you try to push away from me. I mean, who of us hasn't run away just once, even to the end of the driveway, to feel that, like, heady intoxication of being alone and free on the earth and then the subsequent terror of being alone and free on the earth? (laughs) I decide in that moment I'm not turning around. I'm going to keep walking because in this one moment for for her, for Charlotte, I'm not going to arrest the intoxication and I'm not going to soothe the terror. I'm going to let her ride out the full arc of both of those Emotions, so she can be one step closer to the kind of courageous and resilient grown woman that she is trying to become. The kind of grown woman who could chart her own course but still feel grounded and have the wisdom to take care of herself. The kind of grown-up who likes to spend time with me but doesn't live in my basement. (laughs) So I make it home. The dog has followed me so I have the ace card. (laughs) And sure enough, about four minutes later, the door opens and closes. I don't really say anything to her except to say, I bet you want some hot chocolate, it was pretty cold out there. It wasn't until she was in the bath, later that night that we had this conversation about how scared she was, how scared I was, what might have happened. I find this is like, such a fine and difficult line to walk in my parenting, like wanting to communicate to my children that I believe the world is a largely good place and that, the, that most people, the vast majority of people are good and kind and well-meaning and that yeah, like maybe there's like 1% that, that we have to be careful of. I don't want them to see the world through these, like, fear-narrowed eyes and make themselves small, but I also don't want them to be naive, and this is difficult. Charlotte, ever analytical, says, so how many people are in the world? I said, 7 billion. She goes, so what's 1% of 7 billion? (laughs) I know where this is going. I say, 70 million. She says, let me get this straight. There's 70 million bad people out there? <laughs> I really nailed that one. <laughs> but I really, I do think it's really important for kids to play with loss and darkness from a place of security and safety, to play out their fears and try to conquer them from this place of, of security. I know that when my older kids, my twins, when they're playing with the, either each other or they're playing with their friends, they're usually playing something like Orphans Lost in the Woods or like Shipwrecked on an Island off of the coast of Indonesia and you know I'm usually walking past them with like some like emblem of my care and security it's usually like a laundry basket of warm folded laundry <laughs> and they're playing with deprivation and it's, it always like catches me up short because I try so hard to be really present and solid for them, which is no doubt also born of my own fear that I'll leave them too soon, right on the cusp of adolescence. But then I remind myself that they can do that, they can play with that because of the security I provide. You know, they can play with the notion of all this security can get pulled out from underneath us or knocked away and here's how we'll survive and here's a tent and here's an imaginary berry smoothie. <laughs> it's, it's foundational. I don't know how much of my own playing orphan, lost in the woods, or deciding to move away for a time when I was 12 had to do with my survival when my mom died, but I have to think it was significant because I lost so much. I'd lost what felt like everything, and it felt like, and still feels like, an amputation. And still I drew upon something that I had been given the space to discover and build within myself. So later that night I'm putting away her bag. like what did she pack, you know? (laughs) She packed a pillow that doubled as like a nightlight. She packed. A dollar and a change of underwear. She <laughs> packed um, four books. There were these uh, clementine peels. She'd eaten like, evidently, like a tiny hobo in our neighbor's yards. <laughs> um, and there were like these curious things too. Like the pants she'd worn had this grass stain and a big tear in them. And in the book, one of the books, evidently, she'd read along her adventure somewhere, she had marked it with an orange peel and I opened up to the place that she'd left and there's some note like scrawled in the margin. And I couldn't make it out and I was curious about it so I start to go to ask her. But then I stop myself and decide I'm not gonna do that. Because for her to become the kind of grown woman who can stand straight on her own yet lean towards me when she needs to I have to give her the space to let there be some mystery in her journey. Thank you.
0: We loved Elizabeth's story about Charlotte's courageous rebellion, and
1: so of course we had to meet her. And we had a great visit listening in on a conversation between Charlotte and her mom Elizabeth about what happened on the day that this tiny hobo decided to put her foot down and strike out on her own.
2: Back on like that day in November when you ran away, what, like kind of what was going through your head or why did you feel like you ran away? Um, well,
3: uh you picked up some Chipotle and you didn't pick up some for me mm-hmm. and you picked up some for Henry and I felt like that was really not fair.
2: Mm-hmm. It felt really not fair. You were upset, huh? Mm-hmm. So where did you think you were going to go? Did you have a plan? Um, Not really. I, um, I just like,
3: I walked um, Felix around uh, the uh, block and then I was going to go to um, Betty, Virginia.
2: Oh, you were going to go to the park? before I saw you with Felix. What was gonna happen, then what at the park? Were you gonna like camp out there?
3: Um, I don't really know, I was just gonna go on
2: from there. hmm What did you, um, were you feeling like you wanted to come back at a certain point? Or like what was going through your mind when you were walking, were you getting nervous? Or did you feel like, no, I'm gonna go away for a while? Can you remember um,
3: that? Kind of like both. Uh-huh.
2: Do you think, you know, when I saw you and we had that conversation in the street, and then I, when I turned around, Felix came after me, he ran after me. Do you think he would have stayed gone if he hadn't have run after me?
3: Um, that's a tricky question. Um, I think I might have, but I think I might have gone off.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad he ran after me then.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I remember feeling kind of, like, worried about what you were feeling, you know, because I wanted you, I mean, what, do you know why I did that? Like, why I turned around and went home? Well, I'm thinking it was
3: to, um, let me experience being alone by myself without, mm-hmm. like, parents and showing me how, like, dangerous it can be also mm-hmm. um, went out by
2: yourself. Yeah, and I think I really also wanted you to feel, well, I wanted you to feel a lot of things. I wanted you to know that I could let you have a little space, and I wanted you to feel like you could, like, kind of figure out your own courage, you know, like, how brave can you be, and instead sort of, like, test that out, test out your own, your own legs, but then find your way home. Mm-hmm.
3: I think next time you should just say, don't run away
2: again. Okay. So, Charlotte, don't run away again. Okay. I love you. I love you.
0: If you want to be among the first to hear when our next live storytelling events will happen, please sign up for our email newsletter on our website, allyallblog.com. You can like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at All Y'all Podcast. We'll be announcing the details very
1: soon. Thanks for listening to another episode of the All Y'all Podcast. You. All y'all podcast, Ba-choo.